In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Hovering around him were mighty seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with the remaining two they flew. In a great chorus they sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The glorious singing shook the temple to its foundation, and the entire sanctuary was filled with smoke. Then I said, My destruction is sealed, for I am a sinful man and a member of a sinful race. Yet I have seen the King, the Almighty Lord. Then one of the seraphim flew over to the altar, and he picked up a burning coal with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger to my people? Who will go for us? And I said, Lord, I'll go. Send me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, yes and amen. We are glad that you're here, and we are continuing um, in week two of a series that we started last week entitled Defining Moments. And we would love for you, you can go on our website, you can find past sermon notes and everything like that, but we would love for you to go to the website and check this sermon out. It was very foundational to sort of lay down for this series that we are entering into. And just a little bit of review, I think, can catch us up and where we are. We said and defined a defining moment like this. A defining moment is an experience that is memorable meaningful and missional. That's what a defining moment is. It's, it's memorable. It sticks out of other experiences that we've had. It's meaningful. Something happens in that moment that makes an impact on you and everybody else involved in that moment. But then that moment is also missional. It means that it changes the trajectory of your life, that your life was normal per se, and you were going this direction, and then this defining moment happened, and you found yourself going a different direction in life. And we said that we've all had these defining moments, and the reason why they are so important is because we said this, the quality of our lives is dependent upon how we respond to these defining moments. Now, it doesn't have to be a bad moment per se. It can be a good moment, a great thing. It could be a devastating thing. Regardless, it's a moment that you know my life is never going to be the same again. And we said that when we go to funerals and we go to memorial services, and we hear stories that are told, and we hear about the quality of someone's life, it all boils down to how we respond to these defining moments. But we said that there's sort of a big idea last week, that when a defining moment happens, there should be a question that we should ask, and it's this, what is God saying to us? 
What is God saying to us in this moment? And listen, we got a lot of feedback last week of like, listen, we are on it. I'm going through this or this just happened or this family decision or this good thing or this potential bad thing or this, that, and the other. And it really gave me peace to sort of narrow in and go, okay, we know God is speaking to us. We just need to listen. And we said that the reason we're in the series defining moments is because the Bible uses this language. And, and we had to learn a little bit of stuff um, in the original language that for the word time in the Bible, there's two words. The first one is chronos, which is where we get chronological. That's just time in minutes, seconds, hours, days, tick-tock, tick-tock, not the app where you do the dances, but it's just time is what it is. That's time as we know it, a calendar, a watch, if you will. But then we said that that's not the word the Bible uses for defining moments. Here's your test, okay? What was the word? Kairos, like six of you got it. That's great, right? We said it's the word kairos. Now listen, the word kairos is God's timing in our time. Um, we are Christians. We don't believe in luck or happenstance. This is a good spot for an amen. We believe in a God that rules the universe. And there are moments where God's timing breaks into our time. Maybe it's an envelope in the mailbox with a gift inside. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a conversation. It can be something as small as a smile or a post-it note that is just a Kairos moment. And, and we spent time in this verse in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus starts his ministry. Jesus uses the word. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And he was saying, the time, the kairos is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So we said this, if it's a defining moment, and we are experiencing that kairos moment in our life, what do we do? How do we navigate this? How do we discern what God is saying to us? And we walk through the kairos learning circle. There's still packets out there. You can pick that up. We said, here's chronos, our time. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then it repeats itself, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And then it goes, this is our time. And then there's the moment. Maybe it's a wedding. Maybe it's the birth of a child. I mean, it can be a good thing. It can be anything. But it's God's time and our time. So what do we do? How do we respond? Well, Jesus gave us the two words in the text. He said to repent and to believe. Well, how do we repent? And we said that we needed to do a little bit of work that the word repentance is not a dirty word. It's not just some angry preacher on a corner with a bullhorn saying, repent, repent, repent. We said that the word literally means a change of mind that results in the change of direction. So we said we first have to step back and observe what's going on. We talked about how many of us in a Kairos moment react rather than respond. 
I mean, the boss comes in or the text message is sent and then it is Bruce Buffer, it's time, ladies and gentlemen. And you put the gloves on and we react and it causes more damage. But in order to respond, we have to step back and see what's going on. Then we said we have to reflect. And this is something that we don't like doing. Because in order to reflect, we have to feel our feelings and emotions. And we are very good at staying busy in order to not do that. And then we discuss We invite people in. Hey, here's what's going on. I got a phone call from my dad, and I haven't spoken to him in a long time, and this was the situation, and and this is what I saw and kind of figured out what was going on, and this is kind of how it made me feel and the emotions that I'm dealing with. And I just wanted to ask you, like, am I on the right path here, or how do you feel about this? What's the insight? We said that repentance is this internal process. But then we said that we move to believe, which is an action word. Um, We said that that a good synonym for the word believe, uh, take John 3.16, right? John 3.16 was really popular long before Tim Tebow, okay? Love Tim Tebow, but John 3.16 was doing its stuff way before him, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever believes. We said a good synonym for the word believe in the Bible is actually the word rest. And when you insert the word rest where believe is, it changes everything. This idea of having an internal confidence that leads to an external action. That's what belief is. And we said that belief starts with a plan. That, that after you've discussed and you've seen, I haven't sent the text back yet. I haven't called yet. I haven't planned the meeting. We said that the saying is cliche, but it is true. If you fail to plan, then you are planning to fail. And so it's bringing people in. This is what I'm thinking about. This is what it looks like. What do we think? And then we said we need to invite them in for accountability. Like, hey, I need you to call me back in an hour. I'm going to have the conversation or I'm getting ready to write the check to pay off the last bit of student loans. I'm doing all of this and I need you to call in and check on me. It's inviting people in on the process. And then the last thing is this. Nike says it best. Just do it. Just do it. And we said this, the greatest fear that we have, we can learn this, we can draw this, we can know this, we can have it all here. But the game changer happens when you step out in faith and you do it. And we said this, the outcome is not your responsibility. Listen, the outcome, what happens if there was a number seven up here, that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is simply obedience. That's what Jesus is asking of you. This is what a Kairos moment is. And listen, we are really hoping that this language permeates our culture. That when you get together with your men's group or your women's groups that are getting ready to launch um, in the fall, that, that you were able to sit down at a table. And when someone says, how's it going? You're able to say, man, it's going good, but I got to tell you, I had a Kairos moment this week. 
just, just a God moment this week. And, and this happened, and this is how the language of discipleship permeates the culture here at Westside. And, and I'll just fill you in. I mean, we as a family had Kairos moments this past week. As we went around and met our teachers, our, our kids' teachers as the school year starts. And one day, we went to the kindergarten center as our youngest daughter is beginning school, you know. And it's a big deal, man. It's a big deal. And so the whole time I'm whispering to her like, are you sure you want to go? <laughs> are you sure you want to go? And she's super excited and it's great. And then we hurried up and then got in the van and then we went to the middle school. And then we talked with Roman's teacher, and I had just a moment of remembering when we went and did the first year of school with, with Roman. And it was like just last month, it seemed like. And it was just a Kairos moment, and it's filled with emotions. And then we go and we meet Andy Grace's teacher. And then it's just like, wow, man, life is happening. Look at the potential that's taking place. And to step back and observe all that God is doing. One of the things that I felt like that we needed to bring a little bit of clarity to is maybe defining a bit more some of these Kairos moments. Because if we're not careful, what we think is, and the great temptation in the Christian life and following Jesus, is that God only speaks to us in the mountaintop or the devastation of the valley. That it has to be either really, really good or really, really bad. But the reality is, is that God cares for the ordinary, everyday life that you live. That's the Christian life. Listen, the Christian life is not most lived out right now today, in the here and now, in this church service. That's easy. It's most lived out tomorrow when you're on the job site or you're at work. And so I want to look at sort of um, five sort of common Kairos moments that we can maybe put some language to. And you can go, yeah, that makes a little bit more sense. I've actually been experiencing that. The first one is this, to put some language to it, five types of Kairos moments. The first one is the brick wall. The brick wall. That's where everything stops, you headlong smash into a brick wall, and you're like, whoa, my life is changing forever. That can be tragedy, that can be victory, that can be anything, but it is a brick wall moment. Everything stops, my life is changed forever. But how about this one, the brick wall, and then the speed bump. Just... Just think about you're, you're driving in your car and boom, you know. Raise your hand if you're that person who does not slow down. Over, you think they're, they're called ramps to you. You're like, this is great. This is right. But you're driving along and just boom, just a little nudge. A speed bump is, is most of the time something that maybe keeps reoccurring in your life. Maybe it's a conversation that, that you kind of find yourself always having with your spouse or constantly having with your kids. And, and it's something that, that we just speed over, but the reality is, is that it's, it's affecting us, that it's doing something. We need to spend time there. We need to see what God is saying to us. There's the brick wall, there's the speed bump, and then how about this? There's the mirror moment. 
Um, if I could just maybe speak to the parents here. There's that mirror moment when maybe you yell across the house, stop yelling at your sister. They're like, was I just yelling at them to not yell, right? Or you close the door and you walk out and you go, whoa, I remember my dad saying the same thing to me. Or the coworker does something that really irritates you and you go, well, I just did that last week, right? It's a moment where you see yourself and you go, yeah, I think God's saying something to me here. There's the brick wall, the speed bump, the mirror. And then how about this? There's, there's the vision moment. Maybe it's the moment where you just catch a glimpse of your family or your job or your future. And you go, yes, this is the direction that I want to go. I believe that God is building something and he's doing something and this is the way that we should go. And then the last one is this, I call the smile. The smile. The smile can be a text message, it can be a post-it note, it can be anything, a song on the radio. And it just simply brings joy to your heart and a smile to your face. Listen, I believe that discipleship happens in these moments. How you respond to these moments greatly affects the quality of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And today, I want to spend a little bit of time on a brick wall moment. A brick wall moment. The verses that were read to you in Isaiah are very famous, very popular. Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet. And the prophets would speak on behalf of God. And all scholars agree, Isaiah is the Mount Everest of Old Testament prophets. His Hebrew is the most eloquent. The visions and the predictions of Jesus and the prophecies of the forthcoming Christ are so detailed. Always every year around Christmas time, we spend a lot of time in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah in Isaiah 6 recounts his brick wall kairos moment when everything changes. And can I just tell you this? In the 30, 35 minutes, people were walking in through those doors today. And I was having conversations with some of you. The amount of brick wall kairos moments that many of you are in in your life is happening right now. Guys, one thing that I have learned over a decade, over a decade of pastoring is this. People are going through so much more than you could ever realize. Each and every person. So we say that to say this. If you're a little bit anxious today and you maybe haven't been to church in a while or maybe you've got something going on and you don't want someone to know, um, everybody in this room is jacked up today, Okay. Everybody's broken. Everybody needs Jesus. The struggle is real in this place. So if you were going through a brick wall moment and, and you're like, listen, everything is changing. What do I do? Listen, I believe that God has a word for you today.
So I want to walk through and listen. I see five moves that happen in this text. That if you were experiencing running into a brick wall, everything has stopped. My family might never be the same. What do I do? This is for you. The first point that I see is this. I see a crisis. It always starts with a crisis. It's right there in verse 1. Look at it. Have your eyes on scripture. In the year that King Uzziah died... Well, we'll just stop there. See, this is how you do it. It's really fun. You just read a little bit of the Bible, and then you stop, and then you explain it. It's a crazy concept, okay? In the year that King Uzziah died, um, we know a lot about King Uzziah. This is a picture of an ancient coin that would have had his face on it. King Uzziah reigned, get this, 52 years in Israel. 52 years this guy occupied the throne, but that's not all. We also know that there's a little verse that says King Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of God. Man, that's a way to get remembered in the Bible. Amen. So this guy reigns for 52 years. Israel is the most profit, uh, profitable that it's ever been. Prosperous, beautiful. Things are well. War is not happening. Finances are good. Everything is great. He is keeping the Assyrians at bay. Everything's awesome. And then he dies. And what history records is that it was sudden and that it was unexpected. So think, if you are Israel, this is a brick wall moment. This is the moment that Dr. King or President John F. Kennedy is just, I mean, this is a moment when everything changes. 52 years this man reigned. Everything is stable until this moment, and everything now becomes unstable. So what's Isaiah to do? What's interesting is I've been doing a little bit of research for this series. One German uh, uh, sociologist says that the average human lifespan, the average person encounters anywhere between five to seven crisis moments in their life. About five to seven. So it's not, um, am I going to have one? The reality is, when am I going to have one? And so what do we do in these moments? We've already determined how we respond affects the quality of our life. Well, the first thing is this. A crisis is always a catalyst for change. You've got to understand this, okay? That even to a small, minute level, we say this all the time and we laugh, but it's true, that there's a moment when you try to put those pants on and you look in the mirror and you have a mini crisis, okay? And then you go to Planet Fitness or you sign up for CrossFit and you do that stuff. There are moments in our life when we go, "Uh uh-oh, this is a crisis, something has to happen, And what's interesting is, I learned this week, did you know that the root word for crisis in the Greek language actually means to decide? Think about that. A crisis is a moment to decide. You have to make a decision. And last week we said this, indecision is a decision. 
passivity is still a decision. So if you, if you say, uh, you know, this is going to kind of work itself out. I don't have to worry about this. The reality is, is that an indecision is a decision. A catalyst right now, I want to just try to rewire your brain if I can. If you're in a crisis or a crisis is approaching, please understand this, that this is a moment that change can happen. But know this, you can't control a crisis. That's why it's a crisis. But you can control how you respond to a crisis. And let me stand up here today and go against the entire culture and everything that is ever told to you. You can't control the crisis, right? That's why it is that. But please listen to me. You can control how you respond. You do not have to be a victim. You can be a victor. God has given you people in your life and abilities that you have no idea about until the moment of crisis. I love what the United States Marine Corps say. They always say this, nobody, nobody rises to the occasion. Nope, never happens. Everybody rises to their level of training. Everyone rises to their level of training. So in a moment of crisis, you have to decide. You can't control what is happening to you, but you can control how to respond. It's a brick wall. What do we do? There's a crisis. There was stability. King Uzziah reigned. No more stability. So what's next? Well, always with a crisis, there's a brief moment of clarity. There's a brief moment of clarity. Look at the verse. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. In the moment of crisis, when everything crumbles, there is a brief moment where your heart and your mind see past the crisis to what's going on. You know what's interesting? Um, when you study church history, do you know the period of time when London reported the highest church attendance consecutively over an entire year? 1940 and 1941, when the Blitz was happening. And for 76 plus days in a row, the German army bombed the city of London every single night. Hospitals, churches, consecutively, constantly. And in that moment of crisis, people flooded and packed the churches. You know this to be true. You remember 9-11? Oh, funny. The highest consecutive church attendance, apart from the 50s and 60s, was around September the 11th when the whole nation changed. I mean, I remember churches did community services together. There were prayer services. People who said they would never darken the door of a church came flooding into a church. Why? Well, because of this. A crisis gives us clarity in the fact that we all desire a deep connection to God. Talk to someone at a funeral parlor. 
Go visit someone a few months after the crisis has happened, and they'll say things like, you know, the stuff that I thought was important is no longer important anymore. There is clarity that takes place. But Isaiah sees something particular. And there's two things I want you to jot down that he sees that are massively important. The first one, we'll call it this, sovereignty. And it's this, God is in control of the crisis. Notice Isaiah's play on words. In the year that King Uzziah died, question, what do kings sit on? Thrones. They sit on thrones, right? So if King Uzziah sits on a throne and he's reigned for 52 years, but King Uzziah has died, what has happened to that throne? It's vacant. There's nobody on it. But then look at who he sees. I see the Lord sitting upon a throne. Isn't that good? That when the crisis and everything is out of control, Christians, we have to understand that God is in complete control even when we don't understand it. Even when we don't understand it. And of course you can't understand it because newsflash, you're not God. Of course you can't understand. But God is sitting on the throne. And then I love this. The train of his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe. Um, when Queen Elizabeth was married, her uh, train on her wedding dress stretched out of the doors of Westminster Abbey. I mean, just think about it, ladies. Um, whenever you were picking out that dress, did you ever have the thought of, well, I would love for the train to go all the way out of the church doors, right? No, you didn't think that because you would go, I mean, who in the world do I think I am? I mean, the Queen of England or something like that, right? What does that represent? It represents authority. It represents honor. And notice the train on God's robe fills the entire temple. And then there are these angels, the seraphim. Look at verse 2. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. One place. One place in scripture that an attribute of God is repeated three times. Theologians call it the trihagion. Holy, holy, holy. Nowhere in scripture is God love, love, love. Nowhere in scripture is God patience, patience, patience. But in scripture, he is holy, holy, holy. Why? What does that represent? Please listen. It represents being separate, not like anything else. Isaiah has clarity on God's sovereignty and then God's separateness, if you will. And that means that God is completely and totally perfect. Listen to me. The angels the angels in God's presence cover their face and cover their feet to shield themselves from the sheer perfection of who God is. Now bridge the application to your life. 
We come in this place Sunday after Sunday and we sing to that God. When we pray, we pray to that God. This is how perfect and complete our God is. And you have to have that type of clarity in a moment of crisis. So, what's the difference? And here's what I mean by this. London doesn't have that kind of church attendance anymore. And sad to say, here in the States, it's as low as it's ever been in the history of the United States. To sum it up this way, what's the difference in being shaken up and shaken to the core? You see, now we're on it. Now we are on it. There's moments where we're shaken up and things change for a few weeks and oh yeah, then you find yourself in the same rut. But what's the difference of being shaken up and then taken to the mat? Well, I would say next, in the process of a brick wall kairos, we see a crisis, we see clarity, and then we see conviction and confession. Look at what Isaiah says, verse 4. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Jesus is my homeboy. And I said, "Mm, I don't really like the song the angels are singing. It's kind of loud. It's not really my favorite. Woe is me, for I am lost. That's the moment. That's the moment when you see with such clarity the beauty and the perfection and the holiness of who God is. Then, then in those moments, you see who we really are. Listen, the culture has the great lie. And the lie is in order to find your true self and to be true to who you are, you start with you and you don't listen to anybody else. But the Bible comes along and says, in order to know who you are, you must know first who God is. Everything starts with God. And when Isaiah sees that, he sees himself for who he truly is. I love what C.S. Lewis said. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison. You do not know God or yourself at all. This is the difference of being leveled. There's the crisis. There's the clarity. That's who God is. The throne is occupied. And now, look at who I am in light of this. Um, Oftentimes when you're going through a brick wall Kairos moment, And there's a crisis. Everybody, rather than asking, what is God saying? We oftentimes wrongly ask, I just wish I knew what God was doing. 
I wish I knew what God was doing. And the reality is this. I said it earlier. He is God by the very fact that he knows and you don't. That's what makes God, God. And later on in Isaiah, he would say these words. This is a life verse for a Kairos moment. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Translation, you don't know and you ain't going to know. That's what God is saying. But what gives us comfort in those moments is to know the character and nature of God. So again, we have to go back to a word. And it is that word repentance. And if there's anything that you get out of this series, I pray that it is a fresh revelation and understanding of this word. That it's not something that we do one time and grow beyond. Martin Luther, when he nailed his 95 theses to the Wittenberg door as an accusation and charge against the Roman Catholic Church, he started with the sentence, all of the Christian life is one of repentance. That's where we start. But in a brick wall moment, you understand this, that repentance is recognizing that we are not God. That's what I'm asking. So if you're in the crisis, there is a moment of clarity. And then what comes is the conviction of who we are in light of who God is. And then the confession, woe is me for I am lost. Translation, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. Those kids are yours. That job is yours. This situation is yours. I am not you. And so I lay this at your feet. And only you can be God in this moment. Only you can be God. And what comes after that is the cleansing. The cleansing. Notice what immediately happens after the confession. That one of the angels, the seraphim, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. This dawned on me this week. An angel had to use tongs to grab the coal from the altar. This is an angel, by the way. You know, they have like fiery swords and stuff like that. And the angel had to use tongs in order to grab the coal. The coal is on the altar of incense that is in the Holy of Holies there in the temple. God gave Moses the instruction for it to burn 24-7, 365. And it represented the presence of God and the prayers of the people rising to God. And he grabs the coal and puts it on Isaiah's lips. Because Isaiah, noticed, didn't confess generally. He didn't say, woe is me for I am lost. I mean, nobody's perfect. I mean, we all struggle in many ways. No, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell with the people 
in the midst with unclean lips. You know what's significant about that? Is Jesus would come along in the Gospels and say that your mouth is a window into your heart. Everything that comes out of here is filled in here. It's a specific confession that I am broken. And if that is the standard, by the way, the standard is not good. The standard is perfection. It is a perfect God. And if that's the standard, then we are in trouble. But notice how good and gracious God is. Isaiah knows I can't have a relationship with that. So God initiates it. And God cleanses Isaiah of his sin and says that it's paid for, it's atoned for. What does this mean? Listen, so many people when I have conversations, when they're going through a brick wall Kairos moment and their life is changing forever, they have a fear that that brick wall or that Kairos moment is going to define who they are. And it's going to make them sit on the sidelines. And they're always going to be viewed like this. Can I tell you some good news today? And it's this. God only uses broken vessels. That's it. Because you know why? That's the only vessels God has to work with. Okay? You're not your mom's china that you never used your entire life in the cabinet. Okay? That's all God has to work with because that's what he wants to use. I am learning more than ever in my life. And listen, I despise this truth. I despise it with every fiber in my being. But it's this. God uses your weakness to show his strength. That's it. God doesn't want your weakness God's not up in heaven with the Trinity like, oh man, Holy Spirit, Jesus, come over here. Look at, look how awesome they are. I, I don't think I can rule the universe without their help. I mean, look at, look at their little planner. Look at their post-it notes. Like, I, I need them. I can't continue unless I have them on my team, right? God spoke the universe into existence. We get to play along. He invites us into this. But he will only use at your weakest point. And most of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time, that's the most revealing thing through a brick wall Kairos moment is when you go, oh, I'm not good at that. Oh, no wonder I've hit a brick wall. I've been trying to operate in this sphere my whole marriage or parenting or whatever it is. And that's not mine. That's where God has to work. There's the cleansing. And then the last thing is very simply this. It's the calling. It's the calling. Notice immediately what takes place, verse 9. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Notice the Trinitarian language there. Then I said, Isaiah, here I am, send me. And he said, go. And what's interesting is the charge that God gives Isaiah. If we had time, it's an entirely different sermon. Because God says, awesome. I want you to go preach to people who will never listen to you. I want you to go preach sermons that no one's going to obey and they're going to try to kill you. 
Go, buddy, go, right? But notice, notice what's interesting. What God desires most in your life is not your strengths, is not all, any of that stuff, your assets, any of that. What God desires is your availability. Guys, I'm telling you, the moment you say yes, God is there and on it. And most of the time, most of the time, what a brick wall Kairos moment does is that it forces us to see our limits and to go, oh, I've been operating out of bounds. I need to say no to this, and now I need to say yes to these things. But listen, I want you to look at it. It's interesting. God uses people to reach people. Guys, that's, that's the whole point. So listen, the Kairos moment that you're going through, the, big, the brick wall, the crisis, whatever it is, do you know the power of you seeing the coworker or the church member going through the very thing that you have gone through and for you to invite them out to coffee and to sit and to listen and after they've spoken and tears are rolling down their face for you to get to look them in the eyes and tearfully say, I know, I know, and I love you, and I am here with you. Listen, do you know how Westside's going to change and become a disciple-making culture? Not when Pastor Jason goes around and meets with everybody and does all of that, but when each and every person understands that you are a disciple maker. In that moment, at that table, I am not valuable. You are valuable because you've gone through the experience. God has given you the gifts. God has given you the clarity. God has empowered you in those moments. And then they do the same thing, and then the same thing. God uses people to reach people. And so, and so look at the progression. Look at what it looks like when we go through the brick wall Kairos moment. There's the crisis. Everything stops. And we have a moment of clarity. We realize our priority list changes. And then in light of that, we realize all of the things that we have left undone. And we confess and we say, I'm not God. I'm backing away out of this thing now. And in those moments, we are not met with, oh, please listen to me. This is a word, and maybe this is why some of you came today. Some of you grew up with an idea of God that when you felt the conviction and you said the confession, that you thought you had a God who would hover over you and wag his finger and say, I told you so. I told you so, you brought it on yourself, but that's not the God of the Bible. What you are met with is a cleansing and a mercy and a grace and a heavenly father that embraces you in his arms and hugs you and cleanses you and then calls you and sends you out. So as the band comes and leads us in a time of response, what is so fascinating is when we walk through and see these moments, it's very easy to go, man, Pastor Jason, I, you know, I get it. 
and that's cool. You're excited. It's like you had some caffeine or something, like whatever, but that's like Old Testament, and the Old Testament's filled with crazy stuff, like Red Sea parted and fire from heaven, and like, I just, I don't, God doesn't really, I haven't seen God move that way this day, and like, then, you know, we get the New Testament, and hey, um, when you walked in through the doors, you saw on that wall that it says that it's all about Jesus. That's not just some cute slogan. We firmly believe that everything and everything in this universe is to display the glory of Jesus Christ. And we believe this entire book has one hero, and it's Jesus. And can I tell you something? Isaiah just didn't see God, meaning a theoretical concept and a cloud with a bunch of light shining through it. John chapter 12, Jesus says these words. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory, Jesus, and spoke of him, Jesus. Listen, Isaiah had a brick wall moment, and in that moment, he saw Jesus Christ in all of his glory. And can I tell you something right now? That we know that Jesus Christ walked this earth, and that he lived the life we could not live, and he died the death we deserved. And three days later, he rose again. And Acts chapter 1 records his ascension. And at Jesus' ascension, he goes into the heavenly places. And then John in the book of Revelation would record on a Sunday morning, just like Isaiah's, he got a vision of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is on the throne, ruling and reigning in all sovereignty, in all power, and all glory. That's the God over your crisis today. And my prayer is that you would just get a glimpse that you would just be filled with a moment of boldness and compassion and know that when I step out in obedience, I'm stepping out to that God, the God who rules the universe. We all have them. So here's the two application questions about this brick wall kairos moment. What is the Spirit of God saying to you through the Word of God? What's God saying to you today? Some of you, we just mapped out like the thing that you're going through. Where are you at? Where are you, or do you have the clarity? Are you at the call? Where are you? But the second question is so important. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And for some of us in the room today, it's the yes. It's just the yes. God, here I am use me. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today so grateful for your word. God, just in the five conversations I had right before church started, the amount that's going on in individuals' lives, it's happening in the room right now. And God, I just pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, move in this place. Speak to us. And may you give us a glimpse of the glory and the majesty and the beauty of Jesus Christ. God, forgive us. How easy it is for us to say that we trust Jesus with our eternal salvation. 
but we're struggling to trust you in this situation right now. God, give us the faith. Let us see your glory. And may we as a people of Westside respond to these defining moments with here I am, send me. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.